one. And we are recording with Miss Judith Very Baker, who dated none other than Lee Harvey Oswald. But you asked me to introduce myself to you. So I'm Tommy Kerrigan. I'm 32. Uh, like you, I was on the track to be a doctor. I got into medical school in 2014. Um, decided not to go. I just wasn't happy. And uh, through a lot of ups and downs in life in 2019, I started this podcast in a laptop above my parents' garage. And for about three years and almost a month, I've been doing this every day. This is episode 1039. Wow. wow. And uh, I've interviewed everyone under the sun. And uh, those interviews have resulted in me getting banned from YouTube and Twitter and uh, iTunes <laughs> and a whole Reddit and a whole lot of other web. I don't care anymore. I just don't pay attention to it. But that's what I do. I talk to anyone and everyone. Uh, I try to keep an open mind about everything. And uh, really, I just try to have fun. So I hope that suffices for an introduction for you. Okay. Well, I'm glad <laughs> you're having fun. It's been pretty a pretty tough road for me. Um, I wish it were more fun. But um, for for my worst... could you introduce <laughs> could you introduce yourself for my listeners? Okay, yes, I also was going to be a doctor. Uh, it's a long story. Uh, it's basically in my book, Lee Harvey Oswald and Me, that will be coming out next month. Oh, finally, wow. this book was sabotaged. It's it's taken two years to get out because they the printers who printed it printed half of it upside down. Okay. If you open the the book, it fell apart, and uh, we had to force them to uh, reprint. Well, they're taking their sweet time. It was supposed to be finished in October. We're supposed to have them sometime in January, and uh, I think they will this time deliver because if they don't, um, we'll take them to court. You know, good. Good. that's what we have to. Uh, two years without this book being coming out, and <laughs> it's a hardcover. And uh, anybody who wants uh, to get this book, just you go to JFK Conference at yahoo.com and pay PayPal $42. Sounds like a lot of money, but that includes shipping. And it's a heavy book over, see, it's 600 pages, basically. It has 16 color pages in it. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's, it's printed right now. And it's over my dead body practically <laughs> to do it right. But it it's there with all the new information because um, I was recruited by the CIA. I was very young and didn't understand. I was a patriot. Like so many people my age, we trusted our government back then. Uh, I'm on record uh, from many sources, newspaper articles, and my training of having uh, given lung cancer to germ-free mice in record time, faster than uh, I gave lung cancer to mice while in high school, faster than anybody had ever done it, period. And because of that, I received a lot of attention, especially because it was lung cancer from three very important doctors, Dr. Harold Deal, who was the vice president of American Cancer Society, Dr. George E. Moore, who was 
the director of the oldest cancer research institute, which is Roswell Park in Buffalo, New York, head of 8,000 people, uh, researchers. Uh, he personally invited me to work in his own lab to give you an idea, and I was 18, okay? 17, actually, at the time when I was invited. And on top of all of this, um, there's a third uh, gentleman. His name is Dr. Alton J. Oxner of Oxner Clinic. He uh, and the other two doctors had been going around the country trying to convince people not to smoke, and they were testifying at trials, all three of them. Now, when I induced cancer in the mice I'm talking about with the help of Dr. James Renier, who provided the germ-free mice. And I knew him because of he was at Notre Dame. I used to live on top of Notre Dame. My family knew him personally. We, so that I had different connections. I also um, rated the highest IQ in the state of Florida because Sputnik came out and they did all these tests. And so CIA actually came and visited me. Uh, it's even in the newspaper. His name was Knut Mickelson, apparently a, a fake name because we can't find that name. At any rate, I ended up getting all kinds of equipment. Uh, I was uh, sent to learn Russian. This is the Cold War, you know. I actually was dating a important refugee and got deeply involved in the anti-Castro movement because the man I dated, the young man, handsome young man like you, he was the son of... Cuba's finance minister for Castro, who was Rufo Lopez Frisquet. His name was on all of the money. And here I'm dating his son, Tony. And there are pictures of us together. And he went to all my parties and we had a great time. Uh, we got clo very close. It's a long story. It's in my book. But that was the beginning. Uh, I needed, at the time that um, I did finally induce cancer, you have to understand, I started out first by um, inventing a, an advanced way to get magnesium out of seawater. And that okay. got the military interested in me. I went to International Science Fair, the same time as a young man who they made a movie out of. He met Werner von Braun, so did I. <laughs> same, same place. You met him? Oh, yeah. That's wild. Oh, I met all these important people, including uh, some military officers who, um, because I knew McKinley Cantor in Sarasota, he, he wrote the bio, the first biography of uh, Le, uh, Curtis LeMay. I, I know all about Curtis LeMay. Well, I learned all about Curtis LeMay because here I'm, uh, uh, McKinley Cantor liked my writing. And uh, so he invited me to, I would bring stuff and he would critique it. Then he had me carry his, his um, he had a tape recorder and he was dictate into the tape recorder to have written down and he's writing the book about Curtis LeMay. So I got to learn all kinds of things about Curtis LeMay. And uh, he sent a poem, McKinley Cantor did to Curtis LeMay that I had written. And it was called First Lady. It was about the American flag. I was all so patriotic. So it was like, oh, precious dear first lady, to thee do we give our love, for you are the flag of the United States, streaming on high above. So that's how that ended. So when I go to the International Science Fair, and um, they were interested in Rob Strom, who had his 
exhibit right next to mine. Now, Rob Strom won the $64,000 question, which is like a million dollars today, but does he even earn more than that? Something like 800,000 in today's money. And we were talking and all that, but he had some leftist notions. And when the generals and everybody were interviewing him, I mean, all these military officers, um, they didn't like what they heard. And one of them turned to me and said, well, young lady, how do you feel about your country? And I said, well, I recited part of the poem and they knew the poem <laughs> because it <laughs> passed around. So they said, come on, late young lady with us. We got some others and with a number of others. I got special tour of all kinds of important scientists got connected with with Oak Ridge and all oh, this wow. is on record and uh, with doctors who were trained at Oak Ridge and, and materials sent to me. Uh, also, the Walter Reed Institute for Research, WRAIR, sent me exotic chemicals to use. And um, and one part of the letter says, well, we're doing the same work you're doing here on hypothermia in mice. Oh, I, I was doing the same work they were. It's right in the letter. And uh, to make a long story short, uh, when I induced this lung cancer, then with I had assistance, in other words, from the people actually were so frightened uh, of what I was doing uh, at my school that they moved my lab out of the building because they saw the big lumps of cancer on the mice <laughs> and things like that. So I ended up, they made a laboratory for me under the stadium, <laughs> far, far away, you know, and um, so uh, I, I was having a difficulty now because the I had advanced, I advanced my work so much that the doctors I was working with could no longer assess it. What am I going to do? Well, the uh, I was given an information that a very important meeting was being held at the top scientists in the United States who were working in cancer research. And they were had brought in science writers from all over the country and even the world, including six Nobel Prize winners. And they were only 26 miles away. So how am I going to get there? I was not getting along with my parents. That's another story. My dad wanted me to run his business. He didn't want me to become a scientist and so on. And so we weren't getting along. I couldn't count on them. Besides, they, had, they were not getting, my dad was going to be a rocket scientist and make a long story short, my mother refused to be locked up behind uh, uh, over at Los Alamos or Sandia, any of that. Uh, and it broke my father's heart. He was an excellent engineer and he was going to be working on the Redstone rocket project. Okay. My mother refused to allow us to move there. And we tried to get in at Livermore. It's a long story, but the long of the short of it is he retired. He had a number of different patents because he worked with Mr. Adler in Chicago, um, who was co-inventor of the, uh, tele the remote for TVs. Mm -hmm. And he, he, uh, he actually invented a lot of things that Mr. Adler took credit for, but Mr. Adler was very kindly, gave him all the, the money, uh, the, the uh, royalties, but he took credit for the, and just that's what Thomas Edison did with his mm -hmm. people too. Yeah, for same thing. So my dad was able to retire when he was like 32, went to Florida, and then he just drank and, you know, whittled his life away. He, yeah. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. But because of this, I, we, the relationship between us soured up because he wanted me to run his business so he could just go fishing all the time. And he said, you're just a girl. Nothing will come of you anyway. 
pictures. And in a way, he's right, because like I won, I was the first girl. I said this magnesium thing that I invented. Nothing, and that's on top of my cancer research. Um, it actually, uh, it won the top physics and uh, physical sciences award for the state of Florida. So I was sent to the International Science Fair, but they never had a girl win it before. <laughs> and for example, they had a prize, of, uh, I think it was 10 days or so on a, on a wonderful uh, Navy ship, I think it doesn't matter what, what kind it was, it was an aircraft carrier or some kind, but because I was a girl, I wasn't allowed. Oh. And these, these impediments kept happening, as a matter of fact. And, uh, but it didn't matter. I won um, it, at the uh, Science Challenge Search too, but uh, there was just some discrimination. I, I won't go into all that. The long and the short of it is I could not, the doctors that I was working with as advanced as they were, they weren't in this special symposium that was going on in St. Petersburg, 26 miles away. So I had to hitch, I decided to hitchhike there with all my papers and all my stuff. And how? Well, I couldn't drive, you know, <laughs> I was 17 and um, what do I do? So um, I showed, well, I walked as far as I could. I saw a bus coming that was gonna go across the skyway there. So I pulled my skirt up and showed my leg and he stopped. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, whatever works. Oh, it did. <laughs> so he, showed, he, he kindly told me where to get off and everything. And we had a great time talking. And, and fortunately, because I get lost going around the corner, uh, I could even see the doctor's motel from there. You know, it was great. So I was able, so I walk in, it was during a break and people walking around and they're all in suits or they're in white coats and they're police. And then there's me. Yeah. I'm five feet uh, almost five three. <laughs> I have a high school press pass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is not going to work so well. I actually squeezed between two big guys going in as the doors were closing and they didn't see me. But then everybody sat down and there I was and everybody looked at me. Oh boy. Um, here came the police. They're going to get rid of me. <laughs> oh wow. And yeah, as they're coming to pull me out of my seat at, at the person sitting at there at the top of the stage where they were putting on a slideshow and everything like that. He said, wait a minute. He said, who are you, young lady? And I said, I have something to show you. He said, come here. So I, I, I showed him the stack. And he said, sit down. Okay. I sat next to his wife. That, that man uh, was uh, asked me to sit down was Dr. Deal, the vice president of research, cancer research for the American Cancer Society. Uh, he, the president uh, before him happened to be Dr. Alton Oxner, by the way. So, you know, they knew they were very good friends. Oxner was not there at the moment, but as I sat down, I, I learned that the person who asked Dr. Deal to uh, stop the police from ejecting me, sitting next to him was Sir Robert Robinson, a Nobel Prize winner in chemistry. And he was the one that was intrigued. 
So then at lunch break, um, oh boy, I was writing notes down and everything, you know. So they looked at my thing. They when they found out what I claimed, they they really couldn't believe it. So they had to go inspect things overnight and everything that I had. Um, Dr. George Moore was uh, also a pilot. So he flew over and got Dr. Oxner, their good friend, and from New Orleans and flew him over overnight. So now we have three doctors, Dr. Moore, Dr. Oxner, and, doc, and uh, Dr. Deal. They're the number one cancer research specialists in the United States, absolutely. And with so much power and everything, and I am trembling in my seat, I want to tell you, and all that. And this, the hard part, well, the good part was is that two Nobel, another Nobel Prize winner was also got interested in me. His name was Dr. Harold Urey. We were both born in Indiana, and um, he had fond memories of, of Indiana, and uh, turned out we knew some of the same people because of Notre Dame, you know, and everything. I was born in South Bend, Indiana, which is right on top of Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. My Hungarian family was very uh, interested in uh, Notre Dame and, and donated land to them and so on. Well, all of this registered with him, and to make a long story short, they went to my school and, and talked to Dr. Uh, my, my instructor, my main instructor was Colonel Philip Doyle. Colonel, you hear that? Lots of military people were behind what I was doing. All right. Colonel Doyle was from West Point and was uh, just a premier science teacher as well, you know, instructor and everything. So they, I'm waiting. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen? Because they looked at my stuff and they agreed. They, after looking at everything, I indeed had given my lung cancer with cigarette products, which is just what they wanted to prove when they were traveling around the country together. And here I had done it in seven days with germ-free mice. And like Dr. Morse said, he said, it was a devil for us to get those mice. How did you get them? I said, well, I knew Dr. Rainier. You knew Dr. Rainier? <laughs> he said, well, my Hungarian family knew Dr. Rainier. You know, his, his family's from Austria, and we're, hung, we're down there at the, near Vienna, a Hungarian family, my grandmother and all. And I knew him. And, and he was so kind to give me germ-free mice. I killed the first poor little pup I got. Uh, no, they're very hard to keep alive. I, they're, they have to be in completely sterile chambers. Mm -hmm. You have to sterilize your food. We didn't know that much about vitamins at the time. I could go on and on with the trouble we had. But anyway, I did it. And uh, the four things, um, there was all the proof. So I was, uh, I have a little thing to say. I was in the newspaper a lot. Uh, it went all over the country and stuff like that. And uh, also, I, they, I kept getting, they kept giving me IQ tests and things and so on. It was just part of it. You know, I got real tired of that. So um, one day, uh, this, is, this is going on at the same time. Um, I was able to get into the medical libraries and I found out all the answers to one of the IQ tests. <laughs> <laughs> so I scored uh, 200 IQ and they thought I was the most brilliant. I know I said I cheated. <laughs> <laughs> I was so tired of it. I mean, uh, you know, they're testing you and testing. I mean, you know, stop it because you memorize it. I yeah. mean, my hiking, 
It wasn't any 170, 160. It wasn't 175, 190. It's just because if they keep giving you a test, you get more tests, you know, savvy. That's all. Yeah. At any rate, um, it doesn't even measure ability to live life, <laughs> you know, or any of the other things. There's so much more. But to, to uh, continue, the bottom line is, is that I was, uh, I had figured out a way to destroy the immune system of the germ-free mice. They had no immune system. And it turned out that uh, they had a, somehow contracted a virus and they closed my lab down. And I was not able to go to the uh, state science fair with my prize mice or anything. So uh, there's nothing I could do about that. But uh, even though all that evaporated, my hopes to you know go again to the International Science Fair, the bottom line is, is that instead, I was invited to work in Dr. Moore's own private lab. He only had three other people working there, doc two doctors and a young, brilliant young man called Art, a uh, young student like me. Uh, he was two years older than us. So anyway, I, um, I go there and my gosh, the work and the things we did. But to be brief, I learned how to handle the SV40 monkey virus and many others, the friend viruses, Saki, you name them. Um, that was with Dr. James T. Grace, also with Dr. Moran, uh, went to seminars. And in his mind, uh, he didn't like me very much. That There's a long story behind that. It's in the book. Basically, uh, if you arrive late and you miss the IQ test, which I didn't want to take, <laughs> he didn't like that. And that's the way that went. But the, the good and the bad. The good is that I helped develop the RPMI 1640 formula, still being used today. Um, at that time, it wasn't going to be released for a few more years. But uh, this formula grows cancer faster than anything else, certain types of cancer that we were interested in. The, the, the good news about that is Dr. George uh, Moore and Dr. Alton Oxer were good friends, and Oxer was fascinated because he had a bad experience with the polio vaccine. It's, it's called the Cutter Incident. In the uh, 50s, when they were developing the polio vaccine, um, he trusted his doctors. He's a doctor himself, right? So when the Cutter Labs came out with a really great polio vaccine, uh, he had his own grandchildren come into uh, the clinic and brought in the press and jabbed them, <laughs> oh. inoculated them with the with this polio vaccine. 11 days later, his grandson, who was a little two-year-old, died. Oh, jeez. And his granddaughter got polio. And I'll never forget his telling me, I trusted my doctors. I had to think twice. Why did I trust my doctors? Now, this man was against Castro like you would not believe. Mm -hmm. You have to understand where I'm coming from. In high school, I said I dated Tony Lopez for sketch. He and his mother's American. They had to flee because of anti-American sentiment. Uh, 
and also Operation Peter Pan was at uh, was instituted started at Rostow Academy where they where Tony his brother Vince and, and so on uh, were attending, and only days after they left Operation Peter Pan started with with the CIA, and uh, they could have been arrested and, and incarcerated who knows what just by attending uh, Rust uh, Ruston, Ruston University or Academy. So uh, they couldn't see their dad. They were very worried about their dad. He did get out. It turned out he was CIA. Okay. So uh, he, uh, he got replaced. But in the meantime, I learned an awful lot about Castro. And like two of Tony's friends had been tortured. They had Castro's people hung them up and used blow torches under their arms and at their genitals. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, well, so I didn't, I was not very friendly thoughts about uh, Fidel Castro. Sure. Okay. I had plenty of firsthand uh, stories and stuff like that. So anybody that says, oh, how could you want to go and kill Castro? They have to understand the times. They were a heck of a lot worse than Ukraine and, and uh, uh, Putin or anything like that. We're talking about this is 90 miles from my where I lived in Florida. Yeah. I saw the tanks rolling down. I, I heard the, the horror stories, and of course, uh, on top of this, I have I had these close friends, and all of this uh, would come to play its role in my life. So here we I am. Um, <clears throat> anyway, I I, I uh, invited to go to Buffalo, New York, and yeah, my picture got in the paper even in Buffalo. Okay, uh, it's in the book along with six others or 86, they chose the six that they thought were the top um, people there. <laughs> and uh, it, it was, that was exciting and all that. <sighs> my grandma died of cancer. My aunt suffered all her life because of cancer. Some of my best friends uh, had cancer and, and so on and so forth. And it, it meant a lot to me that my, my best friend, Georgiana Watkins, who was the local head of the American Cancer Society for the Sun Coast, uh, the area there, the American Cancer, was dying of cancer herself. And I wanted so much to do something about it. I memorized this formula. And it turned out that uh, such a, a difficult formula to memorize that nobody else had done it and it was secret. But of course, Dr. Moore was going to allow Dr. Oxner to use it. Okay. They were so close. That's important because Oxner invited me, but to, I don't want to get too much ahead. Remember, I, my lab was shut down and I'm going to be going to Buffalo, New York, and I'm going to be working with Dr. Oxner. I mean, uh, Dr. Moore and, and I'll see Oxner and I'll see Dr. Dor Deal and all of that. But I've got all these, they're called, when, when you do your experiments, you have control mice. I mean, I had about 60 or 70 of them left. Four little innocent ones <laughs> didn't deserve, what am I gonna, I, I, I didn't wanna kill them, they were innocent. They had never had cancer or anything, but nobody would take them. Yeah. They were scared of them. So I'm lugging, I've got a big aquarium. I stuffed them all in there. I'm lugging along. Where am I gonna, what am I gonna do? I will, I know what, I'm gonna take them down by the river and let them go, you know, on the other, way far away where they'll be safe. <sighs> I couldn't quite make it. I crossed over Ware's Creek from the school, carrying this heavy aquarium. And I saw this gigantic 
gorgeous banyan tree and all these bushes and everything. So I tipped the aquarium there and let them go. And then I ran away. <laughs> was like, you know. So a newspaper article came out the next day saying that I was on my way to Buffalo, New York after doing all my cancer research with these white, with white mice and with my black um, germ-free mice. Well, that was front page. Deep down inside, they had to know. It was a story about the, this lady's luncheon group that were invaded by white mice <laughs> that were sitting at oh, a God. church party. And they, were, they weren't afraid of people, so they were climbing up their legs and everything. You know? oh, God. And they brought in this cat, and the cat, they weren't afraid of the cat either, you know. And uh, of course, people had to know it was the same. Who else has white mice? Who else is walking around with a bunch of white cats? mice? So kindly, they never, nobody ever, ever said a word. <laughs> <laughs> they just, you know, Judy's going off, to, you know. She's terrorizing yeah. the countryside with white mice. Yeah. So I, I'm showing up in uh, hard work to do uh, at Roswell Park, but it was really worth it. I, as I say, helped uh, to, I've got the papers showing, I added two, two items to the formula that they still are in there today. And um, that, uh, that was important because Oxner, uh, 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 well, uh, gonna have to back up a little i decided i wanted to go to st francis college i i, I had i was going to go to purdue because i loved indiana but yeah <laughs> but instead i chose the catholic college because after two years i could switch over to university of chicago and i had contacts for that and then but that was very close to my relatives and everybody that i missed because we had moved to Florida and all my relatives were still up north and everybody I loved. And my my father was no help. And I mean, he wanted, didn't want me to go to college at all. Well, I made a mistake in that um, I the doctors told me I couldn't have any children and being a strong Catholic, I, I believe it wasn't right to ever get married because we could never have children. I just think thought that would be wrong. So I decided I'd become a nun and they said they would put me through medical school. What's the problem? You know, still go on. But uh, that way um, I would be able to devote all my time to serving God and, and helping people. It was beautiful. Well, my father didn't think so. Uh, it turned out he was a nominal Catholic, never did get baptized. I found out just uh, pretend to be Catholic to uh, uh, enter the family and be able to be married to my mother and so on, you know. And here he comes and they kidnapped me out of, out of the college. I had been working, I have uh, published a paper, it's in the book, uh, the abstract is, it, the, actually it was going to be published in the Indiana Academy of Sciences journal, but I got kidnapped and that didn't happen. However, the work I did shows that all, already I was doing what it said the newspapers said I was supposed to do. The newspapers actually reported that my job at St. Francis, working with Eli Lilly and all this, okay, okay. was, and that's important because Big Pharma was into, into this stuff. I was working to make cancer more deadly. That's right there in the papers. And I said, why do you want me to do this? And the answer was pretty clear. Well, if we 
uh, you can make grow cancer faster than anybody we know. So we want to continue that and keep records, and especially in melanoma. Mm-hmm. We want to, uh, because that'll give us ideas on how to conquer cancer if we see what makes it grow faster. They had their reasons. Well, I was fooled. They were really, I was being groomed and I didn't know it. I was being groomed to um, become an expert in helping the CIA. It, it would turn out to develop a biological weapon. They turned cancer into a bioweapon. I promise you they did. And unfortunately I was part of it, but I, I, I didn't know it, uh, what was going on for a long time. They, they compartmentalized things. So briefly, I was stuck back at home. What am I going to do? Well, I had received all kinds of scholarships and my aunt Elsie was upset when she found out that I wasn't going to college and my dad was gonna make, just make me run his company. And at that time you had to be 21, not 18 to be free of your parents. He said, if you try to leave, he said, I'll, I'll arrest you and bring you back in handcuffs, period. He said, you're going to stay here and you're going to run my business and I, I'm going to have fun. I mean, isn't that, if you wonder why I wasn't getting along with my parents later, sure. okay. All right. So and my mother was too scared to uh, do anything about it. She and my dad had lots of big fights. She was a very strong-willed woman. Okay. I, I cannot tell you. I mean, I stopped eating. I, I was very depressed. I stopped believing in God because I, th- I offered my life to God and I thought, what? I'm here, I'm locked up and my life is ruined. And he has, he, he has power over me till I'm 21. Well, my aunt uh, called Senator uh, uh, Colonel Doyle and he was friends with Senator Smathers who was one of my sponsors and offered me scholarship, but I wouldn't go because I had all these other scholarships, you know, and I didn't want to go to Florida. Well, uh, it's February, 1962, for heaven's sakes. I mean, it's way past any kind of, kind of entrance. Uh, they rigged the computer illegally to get me in at University of Florida. Smathers did it. I didn't realize how much power Smathers, Smathers had, okay? Lots of power. Not the good man people think he was either. Uh, he had already uh, donated uh, to help my research uh, and started a uh, a bank account at my at a bank in, in Bradenton. Later, he buys that <laughs> he buys that little bank. It's on record to get rid of that record because of what we were involved in. Jeez. Because I would get involved with Lee Harvey Oswald. He buys the bank and erases all evidence. All I have is a an envelope with the bank on it. You know, uh, I mean, who would be sending it to uh, my high school? Well, the bank. Um, Smathers didn't know my home address, and he didn't. My dad didn't want my dad getting the money, so he sent mm-hmm. it to the high school instead, where I uh, was able to, you know, get pick up my money. Well, so I'm hoping that you can understand some of the background here and why uh, I I was pretty much on my own. I fell in love. I thought I was in love. I was in love with sex. Is what it was. Um, Normal. Very. Yeah. Um, at the time, I, uh, I'm at University of Florida. Um, wait a minute. Didn't I tell you my dad didn't want me there and that he had authority over me? Here come the police. Oh, wow. They're going to arrest me. 
I ran to Marna Brady. She knew because they, she had helped rig the computer and all that. She knew the problem. Put a chair against the door. <laughs> They're pounding on the door. She says, do you have a warrant? He said, no, we should, you've got to get one. Period. Turned out she's a former Marine of all things. Oh, God. This woman tough as nails. Yeah. Okay. And while they're gone, uh, she knows I was going to be working in labs and they had set it up. So they, I actually got access because they, I need to show that I was earning money. Now, instead of working in one lab, I've got access to three labs. And uh, for pin money, uh, also, so I was in the nutrition lab, I was in the uh, the uh, the regular uh, biology lab and a botany lab that had all I had to do with uh, when I was working with uh, Shan's hospital and all that was brand new. They were anxious uh, to uh, have me there because I came with money. Understand that I myself uh, could not get the money, but the labs would. So I could do whatever I wanted after I did certain jobs for them. I, it was like heaven for me, you know, to do that. And I was auditing my med courses and all that. But but the computer has me taking some core courses and they assigned by random A, B, C, and D for my classes. And uh, so it came out of 3.0 <laughs> and there was nothing I could do about it. They said, don't worry, we'll fix it later. You know, well, that would never get fixed because of things that happened. Okay. But uh the bottom line is, is that I went on, I was now working in with blood tests and things. Um, I was working uh, with how to detect cancer in the bloodstream. Why would I be doing that? Well, th didn't I tell you that they are want to weaponize cancer? If you're going to inject somebody with cancer, you better find out if it stays alive or if it gets sifted out by the immune system. So I, I learned these uh, um, methods. And there's a little background there. You, you can go at it unless they've removed it. But the University of Florida actually has from 1962. You'll see uh, that they're working with tagged cancer, uh, cells, um, uh, tagged with uh, radioactive iodine. And that's exactly what, of course, that I, I developed. At any rate, um, I do not want to go home, right, when school is out. <laughs> and so I stayed uh, in that summer and I met a young man, brilliant, could beat me at chess and nobody else could, uh, cute, looked like Superman, <laughs> six over six tall feet tall, kind of nerdy looking like he looked Clark, Clark Kent type. Yeah. But this man had a secret IQ. That's how smart he was. I would go on to marry this man, actually. Uh, it turned out he had Asperger's. Uh, and was a narcissist. Uh, when I when he wanted me around, he was the most he'd be wonderful. Mm -hmm. and otherwise, his math was his passion, yeah. and so on. All right, uh, I'm bringing this up because I thought I was in love with him. And uh, remember, I did not want to go home. My parents, uh, I couldn't find anybody smart enough to date that I respected. And this is a problem when, and I thought he, he just seemed to, I don't know, he, we got, I got pregnant. <laughs> they said I couldn't have any babies and they were wrong. Oh, were they wrong? I had been terribly ill when I was five and a half. I was in the hospital altogether a year and a half. 
had operations on my abdomen. They said, no way can you. I ended up in my life having five children. So <laughs> I also had a number of miscarriages, but I fooled them all. Sure. All right. Love, I love babies, love children. So did Lee Oswald. We had so much in common. Anyway, when I uh, had a miscarriage, I ended up in the infirmary and I missed a very important interview that so that actually Dr. Oxner had to call me. And then he, he said, what in the world's going on? We got you, he said, we got you out of your problem with your parents because you wanted to become a nun and now you, a miscarriage? <laughs> said, Make up your mind <laughs> what, you're, what you want to be, you know? He said, I, I know a, a good woman. She's the best there is in the field and she's a good steady woman and just perfect for you. And then he dropped the magic word, Mary Sherman. Oh, I couldn't believe it. Dr. Mary Sherman was the probably best female cancer, best known female cancer researcher, period. She was the head of various societies. I had read her work. She was phenomenal. And she had her own cancer bone lab and so on at Oxford's clinic. And he said, would you like to work uh, with her in an internship? And then she said, um if um you accept and go through the internship in the fall we'll put you straight in Tulane you'll miss you'll skip two years of college okay yes of course and he hung up he always said see you at the end of May at the he said uh see you uh the first end of the first week of May and hung up what wait a minute this is April uh-oh what am I going to do I'm not going home the dorms are closing. We were on the trimester system. And Oxford didn't know that because mm -hmm. it was new for University of Florida. By the way, they would eventually get rid of that because it didn't work. But I was in bad shape because all of us were being paid out on our scholarships twice for two semesters when we're actually having to go three. So I was really short on money now because that money wasn't going to be coming in uh, for weeks because it was on a semester system, you know. And so, of course, I wanted to have an internship and, and earn money. But wait a minute. What am I going to do for the month of April? <laughs> you know, how am I going to live? Well, I had, they sent, he sent a bus ticket. And I arrived in New Orleans on the 19th of April. Wait a minute. It's still a long way to the end of the first week of May. And they were out of town. My, instead of, I was so used to being bossed around. The doctors were always running my life. I mean, I didn't have a minute to myself, really, with, uh, working in three labs and doing their stuff and my stuff and, and uh, taking classes and, you know, all these things going on. And I was interested in athletics, so I actually won four medals. Can you believe that at the same time? And there, there's an interesting article about one of my sons. It says, when does John Baker ever sleep? Well, that's the way we are. I mean, I get two hours of sleep. That's all I needed. I still only need about four. It's just the way it is. I just don't need it. And so I was able to pump a whole lot of stuff into uh, that time. And exercise and all that just kept me alert. And I loved it. And so I, short as I was, I even got a medal in basketball because it was so short. They kept following me. And I had a fabulous record at the free throw line. Bro, draining them all. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's the way it was. And so, I mean, it was bang, bang, bang. I didn't miss, you know. 
So yeah, so I, I was on the winning team, you know, and all that, we all got medals. And then same happened in volleyball and, and uh, bowling. And, and then I got an overall medal for overall athletic ability. No, that's on top of <laughs> all this stuff that was going on. So we're talking about his top physical condition and I looked great, I really did. Um, uh, you wouldn't believe that I was a dowdy scientist or anything like that. I wore tight sweaters and I was proud of my body because I felt like I'm an emancipated woman, you see. Sure. Yeah. And I, it was like, I told my dad, the next time you see me, because he called and was very angry because when police came, they, of course, they could do nothing. And uh, and he said, you know, I, he said, you'll see, nothing's going to happen. That's the way it is for women. You'll be sorry. So anyway, couldn't go home or any of that stuff. So I'm here in New Orleans and the doctors are out of town. So I, when I went to the YWCA, instead of being taken out for dinner and getting steak, you know, and wine, and they'd offer wine and all this stuff and show me off. This is Judith, you know, she's blah, blah. Instead, who are you? What, what do you mean? Your name's not here on the list. I said, why? I was so ignorant. I didn't realize that if I come three weeks early, <laughs> you're not, not yeah. going to have anything there at the Y. You don't and exist. And here I am with all my stuff. So I put it all in lockers, you know, and I still had a couple suitcases. And what am I going to do? I'm going to have to get a job or something. You know, I've got, what am I going to do? And the only room they had available that I could afford that I was afraid of had already had four girls in it two strippers yeah. a playboy bunny trainee and a tough waitress every other word was a swear word okay those were the four girls that were yeah, yeah. i it was such a shock to me because i was i had expected well i lived at the ywca when i was in buffalo it was really nice mm -hmm. this was a hellhole it was in new orleans it was completely oh I mean, their bras and panties were drying, hanging outside the window, okay, oh. you know. Yeah. Got it? Yeah. Got it. And they said, baby, you don't belong here. <laughs> Tell me about it. What am I going to do? And the waitress said, well, look, why don't you go out? I, I, I just got a race, she said, and they need somebody just for a couple hours every morning. At least that would pay for your room. Okay, I'll do it, you know. What about Robert, who said, Oh, you've had a miscarriage. Okay, uh, I'll marry you. I'll come down and marry you if I if I get a chance. It's not exactly no, love. not exactly uh the follow you to the ends of the earth. No, I'll see and if I can fact, pencil I, it in. <laughs> I had to buy my own wedding band. Oh <laughs> <I> mean, God! <laughs> but I wanted to be legitimate. I mean, you know what I mean. I wanted birth sure. control pills. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, and that's the only way you could get him if you're married. And he felt the same way. So we wanted Mary to get pills, not because of everlasting love. We wanted everlasting sex. And I thought it was the same thing. I was so foolish. I think I think most people are earnestly fooled by that early on in life. Yeah. Um, I think that's a completely I think that's as normal as believing in Santa when you're little. <laughs> it's it's, it's, um, it's what's the difference? It's you feel good and it's cuddling. It's Yep. He grew yep. Out of it. And and uh because he was an Aspie, he was good at it. It was his but it was a mechanical good, and I thought it was a wonderful thing. I didn't yeah. know any better. 
and and uh, he was thoughtful enough because he's intelligent not to hurt me or anything and sure. boy i thought this is more love yeah. i'm in love i wasn't i was in like you know <laughs> yeah yeah and it's such a difference okay meanwhile um i'm getting myself in a little trouble because i'm an asset i have this special formula i've memorized that they need me to use on this project that they want me to be working with with Dr. Sherman. Now, Edward T. Haslam in his book, Dr. Mary's Monkey, talks about this secret lab and how Dr. Sherman was murdered and uh, other things. And in fact, everybody I worked with was murdered, okay? There are only very special reasons that I'm alive. Also, they act like, hey, she's got a high IQ, but she's too stupid to stay alive. I mean, you know, uh, it's not an accident. I've had to work hard at, at, at survival. And it hasn't been, it really hasn't been easy. For example, in 2003, the History Channel actually put on their site on, under conspiracy theories, and we, we have screenshots of it, said that I claimed to have helped develop AIDS. Do you know what that did back then? I had so many death threats, I had to move overseas to save my life. And I uh, lost, I, the story's never been for sale. I've never asked for a penny, all right, ever, 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 ever. And uh, like, I didn't ask you for anything and I would sure. never, never, because that's blood money. That's blood money from him. And the man that they accused of killing Kennedy did not do it. And I know more about him than anybody that's alive who, who tells the truth. There's some people out there who tell lies or they said lies because they were afraid and now they can't back up on them, you know, because it makes them look terrible. Sure. I understand very much, but I do appreciate the fact that Marina Oswald has never publicly accused me of anything. God bless her. In her heart of hearts, she knows because I was filmed and she was filmed by the same man and he had recorded me for 28 hours audio, 18 hours by film. And it comes out as 46 minutes, you know, for the History Channel, which is an hour program, you know, with commercials. And I've had people say, what? You already told your story. You're just embroidering. You're adding all this stuff. Mm -hmm. 46 minutes doesn't even begin to cut all that went on. Okay, that's why my book, my book is 600 pages long. Yeah. yeah. And it's full. And I was smart enough, all right? One of the reasons I'm alive, I know, is because I kept records. I was a record keeper, of course, because of all my research and everything. And I can prove upside down and backwards uh, what was going on. And if something happened to me, I was going to make sure that stuff would get out. It's the only way I could protect myself. And, uh, there are too many people, newspaper reporters and all that, who would have been interested. This helped to save my life. It really did. Back in this time of the Cold War going on, things were really getting ferocious. Um, Kennedy was elected. I did hated Kennedy. You know why I hated him? Because all my anti-Castro uh, friends hated him because of the Bay of Pigs matter. Mm. It happened July 61. After all, think about it. Kennedy apparently let them down mm -hmm. and allowed them all to be carried away and tortured and killed and so on. And I, and again, it, I saw it 
Lee Oswald is the one who changed my mind. Lee Oswald is the one that showed me what good he had done and how he had been framed. Mm -hmm. Kennedy was framed to take the blame to the yeah. Bay of Pigs. They didn't. He, the Air Force uh, <clears throat> said they weren't going to use X number of planes. And then the next day came to him and said, we need this. They were lying all along and they had gotten used to bullying presidents. But Kennedy basically said, F you. And so it <laughs> makes them look, they set him up for failure. It was either yeah. you do our bidding or you, you set you up for failure, and Kennedy didn't care. No, he did not, because he's independently wealthy. And by the way, he's suffering so much. Um, I know in his heart of hearts, he if his life ended, that was okay. It was for a good cause. I mean, that's the way Kennedy was. He was a courageous man. He was a strong Catholic as well. Well, yes, and that helped turn me, again, because I met David W. Ferry. David Ferry can be seen in the movie JFK. And uh, they, he calls up he, after his name gets in the paper, and this is actual fact, he called up the DA's office in New Orleans and said, you put my name in the paper. He said, I'm, I'm a dead man. He said, I'm, 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 they're, they're going to kill me. Mm -hmm. Five days later, he is dead of natural causes. Right. Don't believe for a minute. I have written a book called David Ferry, Mafia Pilot. I knew Dave very well. Now, how did I know David Ferry so well? He wanted to be a priest. I had wanted to be a nun. Mm -hmm. I was now an atheist. And boy, he did not like that. He, he did everything in his power to change my mind. So we had many conversations. I learned a lot about him. And I have a 450-page book to prove it. Okay? And uh, Tommy, I'm telling you, a lot of people, if they knew all the facts, they would be so outraged at what was done to Lee, uh, how uh, David Ferry has been uh, postulated to be anti-Kennedy and all that. Well, Dave told me how what happened. He was in a very special position, and this why Lee was able to learn a lot about who wanted to kill Kennedy. And this is very important. When I state unequivocally that Lee Oswald actually saved Kennedy's life when Kennedy was going to be going to Chicago. And that finally did come out. When I spoke of that first, people were outraged saying, well, he may have been, you know, framed, but come on. What do you mean he saved this? How would he even know these things? Believe me, Mary Sherman was from University of Chicago. He had many contacts there. Lee also knew, um, uh, well, David Ferry also was uh, from Ohio, but was flying everywhere, airline pilot. Dave had inside knowledge about who wanted to assassinate Kennedy. He got this in a special way. And I need to explain this to anybody listening. And this is why they killed him too. But there, the, um, there were people who, are the military officers, they had a big association they started and they were coming from several, their very first meeting, retired military officers, generals, colonels, captains, lieutenants, okay? Big shots in, in, with their, and who did they want for their keynote speaker? David W. Ferry. That's how charismatic he was. That's how intelligent he was. That's how important he was. He gets up there and it's right after the Bay of Pigs. He had lost two of his lovers. He was homosexual. Uh, he, and I, by the way, I was very open-minded. Lee always was too about, uh, about people having those problems. And I had a dear friend in high school who, killed himself because uh, people found out he was homosexual. Things like that really affected me because I, I loved the guy. Sure. And uh, 
uh, it breaks my heart that what he did to himself he's just just like um the dead poet society same mm-hmm. thing he was really great uh acting and everything and he had such a heart all right so it didn't bother me that dave was like that at all what bothered me is that uh i attended a party that lee took me to uh to get to know him and there he was saying that he hoped kennedy would be shot <laughs> i mean yeah and i had to i found out later well all these people that were there were anti-castro people mm-hmm. and he's not going to say that he loves kennedy sure and he's going to find out a lot more if he says he hates Kennedy than if he go, said he yeah, was. He said, around. I've got to do that. He said, if I said hail to the chief, nobody would have come. Yeah, yeah. You, got to <laughs> you know, right. Uh, the way he talked was very, very interesting. So I've tried to uh, show some of that. I memorized everything these people said. When the president of the United States is murdered and the man that you fall in love with and who loves you dearly is murdered and blamed for that when he actually adored Kennedy. I literally memorized everything he said. I'm not going to let his words be lost. So that's all I could do for him. And people say, well, come on, all these conversations, you bet. I have a, what they call a genetic memory. Uh, I don't forget what I read, and it can be a big problem. <laughs> when I was growing up, even at age eight, I, I built my first TV set when I was eight at the I had a lot of fun with my dad growing up and all that, but if he had an argument or somebody did in the family, my big extended family, they would come to me and say, all right, you heard it. Who said what? And I would tell who said what, and then the other side would be mad at me. (laughs) But, but I was, um, I remember they brought somebody in, uh, uh, they brought in what they thought was a robot. And all these people are looking at the robot and people are paying to see the robot. And, and my family, because they knew my IQ even back then, I didn't know it. The first IQ test I took, uh, they kept it secret from me, you know. But they, they turned to this little girl and say, Judy, is he a robot or not, you know? So I jumped in the ring and went over and grabbed him. And he was real human, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, I, I had this boldness, you know. And uh in, in everything, I, I, I wasn't afraid. I'm still not afraid. And, you know, if you're not afraid, there's a lot they can't do to you. They can mess with your mind, but they cannot make you uh, make mistakes out of fear, out of ignorance, perhaps. In this case, David Ferry uh, was standing in front of these people and he said to them, he was so angry because two of his lovers were killed in the bay, at the Bay of Pigs. And he was angry. He was told that Kennedy was responsible. And he said, somebody should go out, you know, and behind a bush somewhere. And when he's going by an open car, they should shoot his damn head off. Uh-oh. They made him get off the stage. Oh, God. And he hides behind the curtains. He told me that he felt horrible. He had let the cat out of the bag, so to speak, in front of all these military officers. And uh, he uh, he had these impulses, and some people say that uh, because they known him as a lover or something, he didn't realize how much self discipline he also had. But I knew because I could see the work that he could do in cancer research. His mother was dying of cancer, did die of cancer, but he became friends with Dr. Mary Sherman, and of course I am thorough 
I have a witness that uh, who introduced uh, said he and he we're getting that by the way notarized this week that uh, he his father introduced David Ferry to Dr. Mary Sherman for people to claim they never met and all this nonsense. All right. So anyway, here is he's behind the curtains and the, the, the thing closes up. And here come about 15, he said 15 or maybe 20 of the about 150 that had attended. That's a considerable number if you think about it. It's 10% anyway. Mm -hmm. He said, said Mr. Mr. Ferry, we feel the same way you do about that son of a bitch. That's what he's then that's the kind of language you use, okay? Uh -oh. said, would you like to help us out? Uh-oh. He said, because uh, David was working at that time as a pilot for Eastern Airlines, and his his route was New Orleans, Houston, Dallas. Oh, okay. God. Yes, and he's going. And he could actually get materials uh -huh. among them faster to them than the mail could or couriers could be as, yeah. as a pilot. Hidden right under the nose. Well, he only did it for three weeks, and he, that's when uh, Eastern Airlines fired him uh, because of his joyriding with a minor <laughs> running a plane upside down and stuff like that, or showing off. So he got fired and he was trying to get his job back and all that for about a year after that, uh, when, uh, I knew him, but the, the problem that he had, of course, is that these people trusted him because of his open statement. And he continued saying these things, and so a reputation has come around that David Ferry was anti-Kennedy and so on. But like he said, but the fact is, he said to me, he called me Jay, okay? And a lot of people didn't realize that it was a girl that he was ever talked about because they thought Jay was J-A-Y, <laughs> oh. you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. So it never came out that I was Judith, you know, to uh, friends, you know, he said, I talked to Jay or whatever. So he said, oh, look, it was like this, Jay. I found out the facts and I realized that he was set up just like you said, Tommy. And because uh, he got more information. And he said, the fact is I voted for him <laughs> and he's my Catholic brother. <laughs> and he said, now, he said, I'm in a position, if I play it right, I'll be able to find out who his enemies are. And because most of them are just hot air as far as he was concerned especially anybody in New Orleans, but it really, all this really started in New Orleans. And we have people that are still alive today who know darn well it started in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons they have, you've, this FBI, there are all kinds of papers they never released about New Orleans. And, and it was like a big fat mystery. Well, there is no mystery if you read my book, you'll see it. Because I kept track of every single day we were together. Why would I do such a thing? Because when I found out what kind of man this was, it happened right away. Um, I am going into bars with the, my new friends. I have seen them get dressed up in nothing, just putting on pasties, you know. <laughs> I am seeing more flesh than I ever saw on a cadaver. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so here we have all this going on, and they're out of town, and I am with the wrong people, and I have knowledge, and they need that knowledge for this project. What's the project about? I remember I told you how Oxner lost his kids. He had trusted his doctors, 
Nobody was more virulently anti-Castro than he was. He was training doctors and at Brent House, they would stay there. Uh, all these <laughs> Cubans, uh, doctors and so on. Suddenly, when Castro came into power, he's anti-American now, he sends them all for training it to the USSR and they hated that. Instead of being able to get rich, becoming like plastic surgeons, they had to go and fix peasants' noses on a salary. Okay, there was a lot of resentment, far more than you'd ever believe, believe. And of course, they didn't dare. But there were ways to get to Castro medically. For example, if he had to get an x-ray and that technician who hates, really hates him. But Castro doesn't know that. Mm. If doctor goes and orders an x-ray, who's going to check the technician about how high the dose is? Uh, on yeah. Okay. Now, how do... Uh, why would I bring that up in my book and elsewhere I have published because, and I brought this information out two years ago, I was the first one from the, um, in the public, uh, when they released the hospital records, I had friends at the, uh, at the national archives because they, they know the truth. They have seen records, uh, that, uh, I was using that vanished. Okay. And things like that. So a couple of them were my friends. So what happened is, well, there are two things. For example, well, the, the one I'm going to bring up now. The bottom line is, is there are many uh, files out there that are not the originals anymore. People actually, so-called researchers went in there and they actually took the originals and made car carbon copies and just put the copies that's what the archives yeah. has. And others will say borrowed by the FBI and they never gave it back. Lots of stuff like that. At any rate, I, uh, I am in a position, a, a strange position because no, I am not traceable. I'm not a doctor. I have special knowledge. And Dr. Oxner uh, didn't know how much I knew about the clandestine side of things. How? Remember I told you a certain person visited my high school mm -hmm. went because of my IQ and all that. And, and that's how I started to get connections with Oak Ridge and all this other stuff. And they sent all kinds of equipment. And we even had a brand new building that was built. And I went around to help raise money for that. Uh, a new science building, all this happened because it was during the time of Sputnik and all the whiz kids were being given special treatment. That's what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. Special training. Every, I mean, why would I be taught Russian for heaven's sakes? Sure. Yeah. Well, that's that comes into play too. Well, Knut Mickelson, who came and talked to me and interviewed me and all that, was had been a spy for the OSS, and he was a pretending to be a Nazi. And his whole family rejected him and would have nothing to do with him and treated him horribly. They did not realize that he was a spy. And as we talked and all that, uh, the reason I, I was, I told him about what happened to my dad, that he couldn't go to Los Alamos because my mother and all that, and she didn't want to be locked up. And, and they even said that uh, it, it, because of the work he would be doing, we get classified that we might have to never leave, you know, and things like that. Uh, so I told him some of that and, and he just, people, I think, liked to talk to me and, and what happened is that he started telling me some of his past. And 
it, it got into the paper. We have a high school newspaper and it got in there that he, for example, uh, was, because uh, I uh, he got interviewed. He uh, was captured and the Nazis knew he was a spy and uh, they were gonna execute him. He escaped and so on. So he comes home and they finally realize he's a hero. But what he went through, and and I told him I had learned how to make disappearing ink and all that. And so he told, told me about what the tradecraft was and some of the little things they did. I was fascinated. Please tell me more. So about a month, for a month or so, uh, we were in contact. And that really stuck with me. I'll tell you why. Because when I'm in New Orleans, I'm at a post office. And I'm trying to see if my fiance is actually going to come looking for a letter he promised to write every day and he wasn't I was angry and upset because of that and I was allowed to only write one letter to him because um I didn't want my parents to know we were going to elope because his parents hated Catholics and my parents hated his, his because <laughs> they were Protestants and uh, there's no chance uh, they just te detested each other the one time they met uh I mean they had cats my parents had dog, had fancy okay. poodles uh, they had uh, they had a Lincoln. My parents had a Chrysler Imperial. She wore suits and uh, was prim. My mother wore low-cut uh, custom-made dresses flown in from Hawaii, you know, and solid gold puff of smoke in her face, you know, from her <laughs> solid gold cigarette holder. She didn't smoke. And <laughs> Just right well, down they, the middle. <laughs> oh, they hated each other immediately. There was no chance. So we we... If we're going to get married, it's going to be an elopement. So the letter I'm writing, it doesn't say it's from me. It says it's from his friend, uh, R. Rourke, okay? But the R that I used, see, I'm doing that R, looked like an A to leave, like a cursive A, because I've scribbled it for the, you know, said it's from Rourke, general delivery here in New Orleans. So Robert Baker could open it. And the letter is to Robert Baker at Eglin Air Force Base, where his parents were putting up a military stuff, military uh, housing and stuff. Okay, they were, he was a contractor. Lee Oswald told me later that that R.A. Baker at Eglin Air Force Base, that there was a special agent FBI officer named Robert A. Baker at oh, Eglin Lord. Air Force Base. Oh, Lord. He thought I was writing to him or sending his letter off. And the our work, which was uh, what uh, Robert told me to call myself so that they wouldn't catch on. He said, don't put perfume on her. Don't think he's Greg gay. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Um, he saw it as an A work and he knew Alexander work. He just, he said, he'd met him in Florida. Alex work was working for the CIA as an uh, investigator and pilot. And uh, he had met him in Florida. So Lee did go to Florida okay, at some point. Now he told me this later because he sees me hand this letter over after I'm angry. When I turned around, uh, I had actually put an ad in the paper and Robert said, don't put your name, don't say Judy, when are you coming, Robert, you know, <laughs> or something like, but I put it, he wanted to know I got there safely and he didn't want to, didn't know how to call me because sure. I was at the Y. And so I said, okay, I'll put a little thing in the ad in the paper. And I, I even kept the envelope that I scribbled that on, it's, that's even in the book, okay? I've kept all kinds of little things. Why? Because it said, Jario, you know, pretty here, uh, lonely or something, when, it, you know, when, uh, when you're coming or something like that. 
And the JAR, J-A-R-Y-O, the J-A was for Judith Ann, okay? R was for Robert, and Yo is I am. I am Judith Ann to Robert. See, that's what JAR. But Lee thought it was a code. Oh, Lord. Because when I dropped this thing, I had kissed it, and I had circled it, and I had been carrying it around. Oh, his eyes have seen it. He loves me. His eyes have seen it. I see it, and I know he saw it. Okay, crazy, huh? Anyway. I dropped it when I handed over the letter to mail it, angry because he hadn't written like he said he was going to. And had and I had that under my arm. I dropped that piece of newspaper that had that circle and said Jario on top of the other things. And I showed on top of this, because he said, I, I said, is there anything maybe for Mr. O'Rourke? And he said, well, you're not Mr. Rourke. I said, well, I, I, I'll, I'll show you uh, where it says in the letter that I can you know, send something for Mr. Rourke. And as I hunted for that, I found, I was working, as I said, remember I got this job at, uh, as a waitress. I would go only two hours every morning, <laughs> just enough because they needed somebody until they could hire a full-time person. Yeah. And this is summer and a lot of people were taking off a vacation seemed that way, you know, it's going to be that way. School is getting out, you know what I'm saying? So, it happened to be way out of the airport. I had to ride a bus for 45 minutes to get out there to work two hours and then come back. Who would do that? Lee sees me show this check stub because I didn't have ID at that time. I was new, you know, to the area. My Even my birth certificate was with my parents, you know, and what am I going to do? So I and I'm not going to, I have to prove who I am somehow. So I said, look, I, I'm working here and everything, and this is this is me. See, here's my check stub. He said, well, I can't use that. But Lee had wonderful, really great vision, and he could see that it was Royal Castle. It was the number one Royal Castle in the area out at Airline Highway, 45 minutes away. That turned out to be right next door, just blocks, several blocks, but you could see everything clearly from where the godfather, Carlos Marcello, had his headquarters. And at this royal castle where I was working for just two hours every morning, Bobby Kennedy had a surveillance team there because they were open 24 hours and they had binoculars and everything, kept watching who was coming and going uh, from the godfathers. Uh, and Lee knew about Bobby Kennedy out there, number one. Okay, so he's involved with Bobby Kennedy. For anybody who thinks he wasn't, uh, I don't know how deeply, but he knew these things going on. When he saw that I was working at the Royal Castle and I was only working there two hours, <laughs> he thought I was a courier. Yeah, him. yeah. Yeah. Now, he told me this later. Well, obviously, he's whether he was sent or whether that got his interest up, uh, we now believe he was sent. But at the time, I didn't. I didn't realize it, you know. But he had to be. But what I saw is there was no wedding ring on his left hand. Oh boy, and he's cute. Okay, <laughs> a lot cuter than the doctored photos and the ones they select. And if you blow up those photos, you photos you'll see they made him smile. They added grin. Uh, the smirk is not real. When you blow up the pictures, you can actually see where they drew it in. It's so disgusting. But at any rate, that's what they did. And he picks up this rolled up piece of newspaper and hands it back. And I thought, well, I'll get his interest. 
because I'll do what works every time with the guys. I love the boys and I had a wonderful time. I had a lot of boyfriends and Robert, by the way, drew, drove them away one by one, but uh, he was persistent, <laughs> let's put it that way. So when he picked that up and handed it to me, I said, like that. Uh, that is well done, comrade, in Russian. Oh. Whoa, who speaks Russian <laughs> anywhere? Back then, especially during the, well, I I did that with the guys, especially because they'd say, what did you say? And then we could start a conversation. Oh, that's say, oh I just like to do that. It's pretty smooth. It. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> I had a wonderful time, but I. I need to learn that. What am I doing? Speaking English to girls. <laughs> I need to go up to women in the gym and start speaking Russian. There you go. <laughs> well, you shouldn't have a problem. But at any rate, <laughs> uh, we have. <laughs> uh, and I love guys. So I always will. I mean, they're half the human race why not you know yeah go for it have uh, fun and, yeah and so he says in russian back to me he says it's not wise to speak russian in new orleans oh shit what wow so now he's got you oh boy now i'm interested <laughs> yep <laughs> so the, this is how the, we met the, your, your own plan was 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 fired back at you uh, well i was shocked yeah, and I I didn't know anybody to. Uh, well, I, I take that back. I had two friends from high school who uh, were taking Russian at University of Florida. I met them down in the uh, the computer and uh, the radiation center. Sorry, the radiation center. They were amazed to see me down there because they thought that I was. Uh, they you know I was working. They knew I was working in the nutrition lab and the labs. So they didn't realize I had access to radiation and all, all that. And they remembered that seeing me down there. I'm bringing that up because they were speaking Russian when I encountered them down there. And they, they're both cute. That's Dave Dietrich and uh, uh, David Tracy. And I, I had a crush on both of them. And I mean, we had a lot of fun together in high school, you know. Who was the first one? Uh, Dave, well, Dave Tracy and Dave Dietrich. Dietrich? Mm-hmm. Like, like Fort Dietrich? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, C-H, ends with C-H. Gotcha. Okay, sorry. So, at any rate, all those years, they only, I only knew two people that could even speak Russian. And here he starts speaking, and pretty soon he overwhelms me because most of my ability was reading. And I didn't have much chance to converse with anybody. And um, what am I going to do? I mean, so he tells me he spent 30 months in Russia. Now, I think he would never have told me any of that, but he saw all this stuff. And he thought, aha, she knows stuff. All right, you know, she's this woman. Uh, they want me to meet. Uh, she knows stuff. Probably knows the same stuff I do, or whatever. Because Rourke and Baker and Eglin Air Force Base and the code, and I'm at, and I'm out there only two hours every morning at Royal Castle, where Bobby Kennedy is surveilling people, and he's involved with the Godfather because his uncle is. His, his sister, his mother's sister is married to the mob. Lee was a great bridge between the mafia and the CIA, which were working together at that time to try and kill Castro. They finally came out and admitted it. it took him years, but of course, everybody knows that now. So Lee is valuable to the CIA and to the mafia because she can talk their language on both sides. And they have special language, believe me special ops they do and everything and so he was a communicator 
don't think that Lee Oswald had nothing to do. That was a very busy man in New Orleans. So anyway, um, so when he tells me that he had spent 30 months in Russia and came back with a Russian wife and child, and he's walking around a free man, I just looked at it and said, you're a hero mm. right away because I had had this experience with Knut Mickelson. I knew there was no possible. Imagine today if somebody had gone to North Korea yeah. They've been there 30 months. They came back with North Korean wife and child and had been in the papers denouncing the United States and saying, I'll put on a uniform and fight Americans. And all that was in the paper. And he comes, he's walking around and he's not in jail. Come on. So I, I knew right away. I said, I know you have to be on our side. Well, yeah, you don't. Yeah. It's, it's almost too obvious. Well, you'd be surprised. He never would have said some of those things to me, though, sure. because but because of what he saw, you see, in my fact, who speaks Russian? So he thought I had knew a lot more than I really did. Hmm. And here, who am I working with? Oxen. CIA sent Lee Oswald to oversee this project, which the CIA really wanted to get hold of, all right, to kill Castro. Oxen thought he had control of it. He had no such control, but he thought he did. And Lee is there to keep it honest. That's the way he put it. Okay. Make sure it doesn't get into the wrong hands, especially mafia or something. Okay. So what does he do? He pretends to be pro-Castro in New Orleans. He's passing out flyers. There's all kinds of things that he's doing that are, I mentioned all of them in the book and all the stuff he did. Why he uh, uh, went after the stevedores at the USS Wasp, all kinds of things. that. Uh, but I'm going to give you a little background. Do you know, uh, you can look this up. You have a computer there, right? Mm -hmm. If you look up, it'll tell you what day Lee Oswald joined the Marines. Just look it up. You'll, you'll find this interesting. Okay. When did Lee Oswald join the Marines? When did Lee? Harvey Oswald, yeah, join the Marines. Harvey Oswald joined the Marines. October. October 24th, 1956. All right. Now, what I want you to do now is look up when did the Hungarian Revolution start? October 23rd, 1956. The day before is when the Hungarian Revolution started. Lee Oswald was so upset at what the Russians did invading Hungary that he joined the Marines. And you'll never hear that. That's I, the truth. I've never heard that. So, well, of course not, because that shows he's a patriot. Yeah. You see, the day after the invasion of Hungary, where the people were, and I'm a Hungarian family, as I told you. So, mm -hmm. I mean, we talked about that. Sure. And I did not realize that that was never mentioned by anybody. They do not want anybody to know that Lee Oswald joined the Marines to fight the Russians. Okay. Now, I don't know what else you want for proof, because... I mean, that's pretty good. Okay. Yeah. And that's the truth. And there are many things like that that I know. So you're not going to hear my name. They're going to compress me. They're going to stop me. They're going to do everything they can. And of course, you'll find online that I'm a liar and a fraud and all this stuff. But I have living witnesses and I have other witnesses. They're on film. They're, they're, they have written their uh, depositions, everything. I've got them. And evidence, and and they'll still say no evidence. And, and when I first spoke out, they said mice can't be given cancer. <laughs> we were given mice cancer in the early 1900s. Okay, 
uh, scientists were with tar. I mean, there are things like that that are just disgusting, but that's what uh, I've had to live with, or I should say have to endure, okay? Now I'm gonna be 80 and I'm not gonna be here forever. So I, it's very important to uh, get information out. And that's why I accepted this right on the fly. To talk you to did, you. you did. For for anyone that's listening, we, we were chatting on the phone and I was trying to get you to come on tomorrow. And I was like, you want to do it today? And you were like, give me 15 minutes. And I was like, all right, let's do it. It's, it, it took, it took. Yeah, so tomorrow I'm completely swamped with, with interviews and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, 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 no, no. For the record, it took no coercion. You walked right on. You said happily. Absolutely. Because I loved him and I still love him and I'll love him to the end. And sure. love has no boundaries in time. Uh, I'm going to cry if I, think about it too much because I found out the difference between real love and the kind of love so-called I have with Robert Baker and um, the difference is it's awesome just awesome real love true love does exist and people need to know it's worth it's worth the gamble folks it's worth yeah. the gamble try it out if it doesn't fit uh, the other thing is that people give up too soon these days they want they want everything easy. Oh, I had an argument with her for hell. With her, I'm out, you know. Yeah. Forget it. No, we have to stick it through because everybody's different. And like uh, Jordan Peterson said, very it's very true. Uh, you don't want somebody who's going to just fawn all over you. And like, um, uh, did, would you really want somebody who never argued with you, never, never had anything to say that say, I expect better of you? Or ever say something like, you've made me proud of you today. You know, we are going to have our arguments. We're going to have our thing. But amazingly, Lee and I didn't. Um, we we would walk along and, and I'd turn my head and he'd be turning his head at the same time to look at me. It, we, we finished each other's sentences. We just thought the same way. It was uncanny. And it gave us so much comfort because we didn't have anybody we could talk to after, as we got deeper and deeper into all this mess. Yeah. And it became a mess. So um, I've given you plenty of background now, but I, the point is, is that I didn't originally was not supposed to be in on the secret side of anything. I was supposed to be working in Dr. Mary Sherman's lab and working uh, on certain aspects there. And they had a ring of labs set up. The labs did, only knew what they did in their part, and they did mm -hmm. not know how it all fit together. But if they ever completed the circle, they might figure it out. David Ferry was not in that circle. He, they broke the, 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 the ring by putting David in because he knew enough, and he could uh, actually move materials from one place to another without one doctor meeting another. Now, he got very busy because trying to get his airline job back, so he had asked for an assistant because he had to fly to Miami too often. And you can't go and leave cancer cells and let them rot while you're uh, having to fly to Miami and stuff like that. So they'd asked for an assistant. And when it turned out uh, that uh, Lee talked to me, he thought I was that assistant. So did David Ferry. They don't give you enough information. This need to know thing can mm -hmm. backfire sometimes. So what happened is, is that, um, they thought I was the one the assistant had been asked for. And, and Oxner's out of town, so he couldn't tell them any different. 
And uh, I knew Oxner and I knew I was supposed to be with Mary Sherman and Dave Ferry knows. So it looked like that's, well, it turned out of course that, uh, by the way, we even know who the, the person who was supposed to be assistant has spoken up and said he was supposed to be the assistant. But I got there before he did, obviously, because I came early. Well, by then, Dave told me all everything was going on, basically, and uh, where I was supposed to fit in. And they assumed, because it's homosexual, that's why they sent a girl. <laughs> uh -huh. So he would seduce, you know, who it was. Okay. Now, I could go further, but the point is, the bottom line is, is that while we're talking about efforts to kill Fidel Castro, Oxner hated JFK. He knew all the people who were against him. They were so close to like Anna Chenault. Now you may not know who that, that's the butterfly lady who stopped the Vietnam War summit from uh, happening and it, it made the war continue. She's the one that broke that up. She talked to Oxner before she went to that meeting. And uh, I could go, there are many ways that things were just connected together that would amaze you. When Oxner's wife, first wife died, very interesting that she didn't smoke and died of lung cancer, by the way. And he marries this beautiful young thing who's very close to Richard Nixon. She can't get her passport. They want to go to, uh, I think it was Greece or Italy. Uh, she just calls the White House and she gets her passport just like that. So we're talking about Oxner flying at least once a week to Washington, D.C. Many people did not realize the connections of this man with all of Kennedy's enemies. You would not believe. When I said that he was close friends with Clay Shaw, nobody believed me. So I had to come up because I knew. So I got the record showing that Clay Shaw had worked for Oxford for nine and a half years at International House as one of his directors, for heaven's sakes. And then my publisher came up with a photo of them together laughing, you know. And and uh, I've been able to prove close relationships and other things between them. There is no doubt of how deeply involved Dr. Alton Oxner was. Now, interesting, there are little hints, even in Lee's um, own records, for example, we have a fake vaccination record. It shows that he got a smallpox vaccination. Why? Because he's using a uh, he's using a fake name here here of Heidel. Oh, it's Heid, and but he's 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 uh, he has to go and take materials to the U.S. Public Health Service Infectious Disease Office, and where we're doing we're using a very important linear particle accelerator to zap cancer cells and make them even more deadly. That's the bottom line, all right? The mutations. We're doing gain of function, okay? Research way back then. And I knew how to do it. And uh, there were things I suggested that when they used it, it, it expedited, you know, things made things better that, to my shame. But I, I, uh, at the time, I was motivated to want to kill Castro, and that's what this was about. Kill Castro with something that looks like lung cancer because he's always smoking cigars? Mm -hmm. Well, for heaven's sakes, and then you're not going to have World War III, are you? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, they gave me all these reasons to sure. cooperate. Yeah. Sure. And I felt they made me feel important with a lie, you know. It turned out that they, 
when he got very angry at one point when I refused to go, uh, what I, when they were going to go and use volunteers, and they told me that these people had terminal disease. I asked which one, and I found out they didn't. And these poor prisoners had volunteered for be used as guinea pigs. And if it worked, it would kill them and they weren't being told. That's how I got kicked out of the project. It really saved my life because I was Judy Ferry when I met David Ferry and that's how I was known as JV, okay. And, but I was for uh, Dr. Oxner uh, for all his records, you know, I was, uh, well, actually went to Riley Coffee Company. I was there, I was Mrs. Baker. But when I was kicked out and went to Florida, I was Mrs. Robert Ellison Baker III, the wife of someone who had become a very important scientist with patents and uh, high positions, one of the highest positions in Exxon, invented many things. Uh, turned out to be, uh, you can still find his patents online and everything, you know. And that was his only, he did, did so much stuff for Exxon, you wouldn't believe. So, I mean, he was absolute genius and we, we uh, managed somehow to get along, okay, long story. But I actually became a Mormon to hide. I had to, I could not do any of the things that were in my heart to help people, to cure cancer, any of that. I had to be what Dave Ferry said, you have to keep your head down, you have to be a vanilla girl, it's over or they'll kill you. He said, I can't even talk to you again or they'll kill me. He said, we just all have to be quiet. You understand that Mary Sherman involved in this project, all right? When the Warren Commission came on July 21st, 1964 to get testimonies, she was front page news as a murder victim set on fire, stabbed, and her right arm was gone. Now you tell me how many of us are gonna speak out because some people knew what was going on. So who does speak out that day to the Warren Commission? Dean Andrews from the Godfathers, lawyer assembly, okay? Laughing and joking as you can see him on JFK. And Jim Garrison knows darn well that Dean Andrews knows a lot, okay? And I met him, I met Andrews. I met all these people. New Orleans was a much smaller town, I'll put it that way. Oxford moved in high places, and there were people I met that would amaze you. I met Shaw himself, and so on. It's all written down, because when I realized what was going on, I wanted a record of this. And you can understand that I thought it was because we were going to kill Castro, and we'd be heroes. Someday I would tell what happened, how we saved the world from mm -hmm. World War III, and so on. And the whole time, they were slowly enmeshing Lee Oswald to make sure that he would be framed, framed for Kennedy's death. When he exerted himself and he did everything he could with the knowledge he got from Dave Ferry and from Mary Sherman and others, penetrated the assassination ring and they knew he was doing it. And they, he said, Hi, I'm not a world-class shooter. They're trying to tell me I, I'm invited in and all that. And of course he pretended he didn't like Kennedy, but they knew better. It, it, there are so many things he did for our country and people don't know. And I, I'm gonna stop right now because there would be other things we can talk about, but I hope you have some questions and then I can answer them.
Um, um, I wanted to ask you about what we spoke about on the phone briefly about okay. the, uh, the payment he got from the Office of Naval Intelligence. Oh, yeah. Well, understand that when he became a fake defector, uh, he's only weeks before he's going to be discharged in less than three months. His goal, he told me, Lee's was, was to penetrate the Soviet Union, the Iron Curtain, while he was still a teenager. Now, people don't know, but I've, I've, we have the family to back this up, the J Charles Thomas family, that Lee, when, when he was only 12, was playing hooky and all that. And he actually, he's in New York, and he actually crosses over. He wanted to see Canada. So he's when he 12, he crossed over playing hooky. And the man at the border's name is Charles Thomas. He's customs officer. And um, he's, he let, made a deal with Lee. He said, look, tell me your name and address and all that. He said, if you're not back by when it's really dark, he said, you're going to get arrested. <laughs> you know, we're going to find you. But I'm not going to let you go over because he said, I kind of admire the fact that you hitchhike all the way up here. So Lee told me he got on the bus called to go to um, it, the the bus, it 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 uh, it has a a uh, it was going to a special park. Uh, what was the name of the park? Crystal Crystal Beach. It's called Crystal Beach. So I called talked to the family. I said, you know, I met. I mean, Lee introduced me to your grandfather and your father because his dad was still, her dad was still alive. And um, he told me that he put Lee on the bus to Crystal Beach. And they said, what? You know about Crystal Beach? I said, well, yeah, he told me. They brought out a photograph and it's in my book showing their, Charles Thomas standing there as the customs officer at, with a, some suitcases there, you know, and behind him is a bus that says Crystal Beach. It's just wonderful. You know, and then I said, well, you know, he had tattoos on his fingers. Can't miss that. And they have photographs showing me tattoos on his fingers mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. Other things that, that he was married to a Chittimacha Indian. That's how I found the family, because the Chittimacha are only over in New Orleans area. The, these Indians, because uh, I said, are you an American citizen? Because he had an accent. And um it turned out, he said, well, I'm more than that. He said, I'm married to a Native American, a <laughs> Chittimacha Indian. So that's how I found that out. So why did Lee introduce me to this man? Because this man, as customs officer, they flew him in because Lee has a passport stamped all over at Soviet Union. You can't use it for ID or anything, all right? And it's a long story about that he, he doesn't want to, to have uh, any records, if he can help it. Very few records are to be generated as he wanted to become a spy. And uh, that's because when he was, was 12 years old at that same time, he saw some some uh, episodes of I Led Three Lives. Now, his brother said he saw him in Texas. And then when they found out it wasn't showing in Texas, then they didn't believe that Lee actually saw them, but he did. And of course, I found the records showing that it was playing at that time in uh, New York, because that's what I do. How did I do that? Remember, I told you my my photograph was they took my my picture and uh, I was one of six people that when I was there at Roswell Park. And 
I had cut that clipping out and I showed it to him. And he turned it over because Lee is curious about everything. And on the back, it showed, and I, that's my book too. It, it shows the different TV programs. He said, I wonder if I led three lives and still playing. And it was, it's right there on the back of my photograph. So then he, that's when he told me about Charles Thomas and all that stuff, you know, that he actually went up there. So he knew all about Buffalo. He walked through it himself, you know, and Tishite went to Crystal Beach and so on. So what happens when he gets his passport later? See, he's telling me he made an application. Now, get this. The man had been in the Soviet Union, remember, 30 months. He makes out his application. Charles Thomas has flown in to, to uh, approve it in 24 hours, just 24 hours, with a stack of others, so it doesn't, you know, be by itself. Here's how he filled it out. It says, it asked, when was he married to Marina Prusikova? He, he put the date as April 31, 1961. There is no April 31. Yeah. <laughs> This is Lee and his sense of humor. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right on his own plat passport application. He told me I could put his, <laughs> his name, he could put his name down as Santa Claus. They still would have proved it. Yeah. But just to show you, until it came out in color, I was not able to show that Lee Oswald didn't even fill out where it said photographer. They finally came out in color because I saw the original and the the writing that Charles Thomas used was in magenta ink and Lee's was in blue black. Okay. So now it's come out in color and you can see that where it says occupation, he said, fill in whatever you want. And he wrote photographer. <laughs> he didn't even fill out his own application, on his application, his own, what he said, what, what, what do they want me to be? I'll be. So yeah. he put photographer down. The CIA did that with yeah. using this customs officer. So, and where else it says on the same application that he intends to go and visit Poland, which is USSR. And he's going to, intends to go to Finland, which has, which uh, was being run by the Soviets at that time, really was, and intends to go back to the Soviet Union. And he gets it approved in 24 hours. And I saw it with my own eyes. And he in introduced me to Charles Thomas. That's how come I know about the tattoos. I shook his hand, you know. So why am I talking about all this? Because Lee joined the Marines as a patriotic duty. Okay, after the Hungarian Revolution, and they begged for America to help, nobody would. And I had relatives there that got murdered. Okay, they were shot. So they see what's that's what we talked about. This is why I know these things. I know so much, and people, if they only knew everything about Lee, they would be, they would be so angry and upset because he was such a good man. So Lee tells me uh, at this time, well, you know. Uh, I had, I got hazard pay. I said, well, what do you mean hazard pay? He said, well, they, you, they pay you extra, a lot extra, because you may not come back. And he said, I had, I had probably a 50-50 chance of coming out alive. Mm -hmm. Okay. And boy, did he come out alive. You know, you can look that he got a loan from the State Department to, because he didn't have enough money to bring back his wife and child along with him. Okay. Now, in small print, it says the citizen has to be in good standing as a U.S. citizen to get this loan. Okay, he got it. Over $400, that's like 4000 today. Okay, yeah. but wait a minute. 
did anybody ever look at the papers? They're not online anywhere. They've taken them off ever since I mentioned. You ought to see the papers he filled out. You're supposed to fill out the insides. Are, uh, they're like five or six pages. They're blank inside practically. Where it says, what did you do? You know, like in the Soviet Union is there. It's blank. And they still approve the loan. Blank. Now, I have copies of that, but they've taken it off the internet. But I, I've downloaded it. Don't worry. I've done my homework, you know. So Lee was paid hazard pay. And if they release those records, the tax records, they will never, if they ever release them, they're going to be doctored. They're going to be, and they're getting so clever now, we'll never know. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is Lee was paid extra money and it was put into a fund. And if anything happened to him, his wife would get the money. And that's probably why we have Marina Oswald getting $25,000 anonymously, which is equivalent today of a quarter of a million dollars because he had set up a fund through an insurance thing in case something happened to him. And of course he was shot on TV. And here comes $25,000 for his wife and his two little girls. You know what Lee told me? He said, I don't want anything to happen to you and everything, but please, Please tell my little girls that I was a good guy. And please have babies for me. He knew that would keep me alive because I wouldn't kill myself. I saw him shot on TV. Like to this day, I can't think about it without pain. And people don't understand that you think that it fades. It does not with my, I have an excellent memory. And that's the problem. I see things in pictures. Yeah, um, I can remember things I ate on certain days and everything. 60 Minutes was amazed at that. They, they had investigated me for 14 months and they interrogated me plenty. And they'd bring out stuff I had said a, a year earlier and I'd say precisely the same words again. And they were amazed. So they later did a program about <clears throat> people who can remember every detail of their life. And before I got hit on the head with it, had, I've been hurt. Uh, I could do most of that. I still can. I still have a terrific memory. I mean, a lot of people don't believe I'm going on 80, you know, because I can remember everything, you know. And when editors were looking, um, wanted to add something to my the conversations, I, I remember one, especially when Lee asked me to marry him. He said, I know that Baker never asked you. He said, I'm going, so I'm going to ask you a hundred times. He asked me to marry him a hundred times. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> and the last time he asked me, I said, yes. Well, in the book, they put yes, yes, yes. I said, no, that's not what I said. So anytime they made a mistake, I would fix it. And back to the original. And, you know, I don't have to look at the original. I know what it was supposed to say because I memorized everything. And, uh, so that's kind of shocked them, you know, that I, I could do that. But that's the way it is. Hmm. I spent time every year around Thanksgiving, every single year, re reviewing everything he said. So I would not forget. Remember, people used to do oral histories that way before they could write. Mm -hmm. They would send out, yes. Sure. I knew I could do it. And being a Catholic, raised a Catholic school, we had to memorize these long poems and everything, Excelsior and so on. And uh and long passages from scripture, you know, and our, all the devotionals, you know, and catechism and so on. It was easy for me to memorize it, but you have to keep doing it, you know. Yeah. So 
60 minutes when they tried three times to film me and have stopped from higher up, including Dan Rather, by the way, he was alive and I would confront him any day, any hour, anywhere, because we've got pretty good, it's hearsay, I didn't, he didn't tell me to be my face, but secretary did. At any rate, they stopped it. I went to a Phil Scheffler and uh, Mike uh, Wallace, okay, and uh, Don Hewitt. Those are the three. Hewitt founded 60 Minutes. They're the three. The biggest guys in 60 Minutes tried their best because they were going to retire. They, they felt like this was a story of a lifetime. I couldn't get it. I have two checks from CBS. They paid me over $2,000 for lost wages. They had never done that before to anybody. I would never would have received that money if I had been telling even one little fib. Okay, I was a credible witness and they paid me lost wages. It says so right there. So anybody say, well, you know, we didn't do it because it didn't have enough evidence. That's not true. It got stopped from above. And, uh, you know, that's the way it went. But it uh, doesn't matter because people now are learning the truth about their government. And we had a coup d'etat. They took Kennedy out because he had enough guts to be a president. He was our last real president. I'm, I'm pretty convinced that every president after that got taken to a little room and shown the Zapruder film where they can see Kennedy's head blown to smithereens. So maybe be a good boy and everything yeah. will be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, w I won't be stopped. You see, what if I got to lose? At my age, I don't have nothing to lose, only to, only to gain heaven. Yeah. Okay. So I hope I've answered your question. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> um, so as not to keep you forever. Um... There's so much to say, and but this is what I think is the basis because when they get people get online, they're going to see a lot of lies. Mm -hmm. They're just outrageous lies. Like, look how she's padded her story, you know. Oh, uh, in the 46 minutes, I, I said it often enough. You'll notice if you have to be alert for it, but Lee said near the end, it's near the end of it, that, uh, you know, that, that they're, they're, they call it their, uh, you know, they killed Kennedy, the big event. They called it the big event. Yeah. And they actually got on that 46 minutes. And only a few months later, E. Howard Hunt, CIA, and by the way, St. John, his, his uh, son is a, uh, I, I really have had a close relationship with him and I feel really sorry for all the suffering he's gone through, okay, in his life. His father being uh, the great hunt who's also one of the Watergate burglars, you know, okay. And CIA guy and his mother was blown up in a plane, you know, carrying CIA money and all these terrible things that happened to him. But I think it's very interesting, very interesting that Hunt, in his, when he thought he was going to die, he makes a recording for his son, and he calls the name of the op where they're going to kill Kennedy, the big event. That's how close that Lee Oswald got to these people. God bless him. And you, he couldn't even say I'm CIA. He had so many contacts in the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union was shot and killed all of them just to prove that they weren't involved with Kennedy's, you know, destruction. And 
There's no way he could, would expose them. He, they knew he wouldn't. All he could say is that he was a patsy. And you know what? They Even when he was dying, that they shot him and they put him in this room for five minutes. They could have taken him right out past the trucks and everything, put him in the ambulance right away. No, they moved the truck out and they moved the ambulance. They wanted him to die. Norm, we have records know. showing that they, we have a photograph showing that they have a cylinder of oxygen in the ambulance. And then they've got the, the, the bill and it shows that it didn't even give them oxygen on the way to the hospital. Nope, they Jeez. did not. So it's, I could, yeah. I could go on and on with the bad things they did to him in the hospital, but I'm not. Anybody saying that they treated him the way he should have been treated? Well, if that's so, why did they, they moved him first into the trauma room one, and that was where Kennedy died. Oh, we can't have him in here. So they actually pull him back out and move him down the hall to a different room. Now, that's not prejudice. Think about it. So, you know, he had no anesthesia when they cut him open. None. It doesn't matter. I'm going to see him again in heaven. And I'm telling you right now, I want justice for him. Because if you get justice for Lee Oswald, you know what? That's how you get justice for John F. Kennedy. Because he didn't do it. That means those killers, all right? Some of them may still be alive. Now, I understand that people who actually shot him, they're probably, they, we, we're pretty sure it was a uh, sniper teams. And they were able to shoot in unison so that it would sound like one shot. Hmm. Unless you're in a certain area where you could hear extra echoes, then you think you could hear maybe, some people thought they heard six or seven shots. All those have been ignored. Richard Charnin is a fine mathematician. He has a book out. You can, you can go to um, my, I have a place called jfkdallasconference.com. And if you go to jfkdallasconference.com, you can look 50 best books, in my opinion, about the Kennedy assassination. And Richard Charnin's book about reclaiming science is there. And he talks about all the people who had things to say, like they heard seven or eight shots, and they're not even counted. Yeah. So lies, lies, lies all over the place. And all through it, my Lee was a hero from day one. And I just want everybody to know it. And that's, that's the bottom line. Excuse me. No, you're fine. No, uh, no. I love everybody and I love you. Thank you for letting me talk and um, get the truth out. Please spread it around. Let well, people know the truth. I love you too, Judith. I thank you for coming on here. Um, um, this is maybe a good time to to wrap this one up. Yeah. Um, Miss Baker, I would love to have you on again. You're... Well, there's a lot I'd like to talk to everybody about about COVID and about what sure. really is going on. Because this that. is another biological weapon. Well, now, I call them bioweapons because that hits the headlines easier. It is, I've turned used that term a lot and it's starting to catch on bioweapon, not biological weapon, bioweapon. Yeah. It, because it, it isn't even biological. It is, it's devilish. Yeah. It's hellish. They have no right. We really must stop these 
gain of function uh, forays using CRISPR, using um, reprogramming RNA. We don't know the consequences. I've been studying this all week. I have always studied it, but I'm going to be giving a talk about it, about the, the latest variant. They've been working on these variants for years. Now, how all of a sudden they're all getting released, how interesting and how much money they're making. And uh, I, I, I don't have much money, but I bought a stock, I've bought a share in Tesla just, just to fight them because uh, I noticed that he released information about COVID and mm -hmm. stuff. yeah, and all of a sudden they won't let uh, Tesla's SUV get uh, any, any kind of rebate. tax return because it's 250 pounds too heavy. I mean, too light when they should be welcoming. Should be rewarding anything. light. Yeah, right. The whole yeah. thing's efficiency, right? Well, and that means use less batteries. So yeah. that's really uh, what they've done is persecution because he told the truth. So I bought a share of Tesla. I don't have very much money, but I did. Just to, just anyway. to give him the finger. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> 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 two of them <laughs> at your age no, uh, all i can say is that we're talking about a good man um we fell in love we were really could confide in each other and you know near the end when he said well i said what if i had not spoken russian what if i didn't know what if and he said, sweet, I believe that the very heavens themselves, if they folded away, we still would have found each other. And that I believe that. And I, I became a Christian. Um, I've suffered a lot. And I've had to live overseas where I had to move every 90 days for 13 years. I was homeless practically, but people helped me. But I've never had much. I don't care either. It was worth it. And I've been able to help people. If people have illness, if they want to cancer, if they have a cancer, we've helped. I've helped a lot of people get over that. I don't want to get arrested, so I can't say much. All right, but we have many ways to cure cancer. We could have cured cancer in the seventies, but it makes so much money. And mm -hmm. these cancer palaces, why, if they cured cancer, those palaces, where are all those thousands of people going to go? On how all that equipment? Where are they going to go? Tear out down those hospitals? There's no incentive to cure cancer, only to make money. And it, the whole thing is corrupt to the gills. So we have to take care of each other and love each other. And these corrupt people, they have to be exposed. And uh, that's just the way it is. So join me on Twitter. I'm Judith at Judith, J-U-D-Y-T-H. Okay. And... Uh, Look at my Twitters because I will tell you the truth there. I describe myself as a blunt truth teller. And right away I got attacked. Somebody said I was a man and I was just pretending to be Judith. What? <laughs> yeah. What a, what a weird criticism. Oh, yeah. Well, they do things like that. This doesn't matter. The point is, is people that get to know me, they know. And I have many wonderful, precious friends. And I'm grateful for them. And thank you for letting me speak to you today. God bless you. Yes, ma'am. And that was, I, hey, you, you welcome on here anytime. You, you are, you are more, you are sharper than 90% of guests I have on here. 
It's seriously, that that's I mean, uh, I've got to be hundred <laughs> percent. That is, I'll, I've, I've well, got to improve. Well, then we'll have to bump it up from there because I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to give you an easy hundred. All right, I'll I'll start you at I'll start you at at ninety, and then we'll. <laughs> the move reason up. I say that is, uh, there's this rumor going around that as you get older that you're going to lose some of it. Actually, you can actually keep growing your neurons. You just have to know what to do. Yeah. Well, I would love to talk to you about everything under the sun. You're an absolutely fascinating woman. And um, thank you so much. I genuinely thank you for having me. And yes, ma'am. Read this to your friends. You're young. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be here as long as you. God willing, you will be here a long time. You I know. hope so. So keep it up. Yes, ma'am. Keep fighting for yes, the right. God's on our side in the end. Yes, ma'am. Judith, thank you so much. I will I will email you this episode. It'll be up this evening, later tonight. Um, I'll put your website. I'll put your Twitter. I'll put all that good stuff in there, and um, we will schedule another one. I would love to chat. Okay. God bless. Thank you so much, Ms. Baker. Take God care. bless everybody. Stay safe. You